Beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you know why you were baptized? For those who have grown up in a Reformed church, I'm sure you have a good idea about when you were baptized. We belong to a federation of churches that practices infant baptism. So it's probably safe to say that within a few weeks, perhaps even within a few days of your birth, you receive the sign and seal of baptism. And as a result, the question that we are asking affects young and old alike, children and adults. It seems like an obvious question, especially for a Reformed believer. Why were you baptized? Yet there seems to be a lot of confusion about the sacrament of baptism. There are many believers raised in Reformed churches who have a tough time seeing a significant difference between what we confess and those who practice adult-only baptism. After all, many of these well-meaning believers have a strong desire to be faithful to the Lord, and in many areas of Scripture share our confession. Much like the Reformed believers that baptize their infant children, these Christians dedicate their children to the Lord. And at about the age that our young people do profession of faith, many of their children are baptized. So what's the big deal? Is their practice really all that different? Because on the surface, it really doesn't appear to be all that different. It seems that very little separates us. But is that an accurate picture of reality? And to answer that question, we need to be clear on why we were baptized as infants and why we continue to baptize our own children as infants. Therefore, I preach to you God's word under the following theme and points. Baptism applies God's promise for our comfort. How the prom- we see how the promises of baptism are applied and we see to whom the promises of baptism are applied. Before we get into the gist of Lord's Day 27, it would be a good idea to remind ourselves what we confess in Lord's Day 26. Lord's Day 26 tells us what is signified and sealed to us in our baptism. The water of baptism signifies and seals to us that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly, that is, Christ's blood and spirit Wash away the impurity of my soul. That is all my sins. And so baptism deals with a central teaching of scripture, namely the forgiveness of sins. And it goes on to teach that it was Christ's blood poured out on the cross that cleanses us from all our sin. And that the Holy Spirit renews us and sanctifies us as members of Christ, making us alive to him and dead to sin. And so Lord's Day 26 deals with the rich content of God's promises in baptism. And it brings us to the very heart of the gospel. The good news that we find in Mark 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And it's at this point that many well-intentioned believers will say, See, baptism is not for infants. It's for believers. This text and others seem to indicate the need for those being baptized to believe, to have faith. 
and that's our point of departure for Lord's Day 27. Whereas Lord's Day 26 deals with the content of baptism, Lord's Day 27 deals with how the promises of baptism are to be applied and the subsequent question of who should receive these promises in baptism. But it is exactly this question of how the promises of baptism are applied to the covenant children of believers that has many questioning our practice of infant baptism. Many advocates of adult-only baptism think that the Reformed churches teach a form of baptismal regeneration. Baptismal regeneration is the belief that the elements, namely the water or the ceremony of baptism, has the power to give or confer what it signifies. In other words, if the water of baptism signifies and seals the washing away of sins, then the act of baptism actually accomplishes this. But brothers and sisters, this is not what we confess. No, this is the confession of the Church of Rome. But often, we are found guilty by association. If it looks the same, many think that the Reformed churches must be confessing the same things. And so the authors of the Catechism have done us a favor by beginning with the question, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sin? In other words, does the act of baptism actually remove my sin or the sin of my children? And for those raised in a Reformed church, this may seem like a very elementary question, but at the time of the Catechism's writing, this was a current issue. The Church of Rome had long been teaching that through the administration of baptism, sin was actually being removed. This doctrine, known as baptismal regeneration, was rejected by the Reformers, and it continues to be rejected by the Reformed churches today. No, baptism itself does not take away sin. To illustrate the point of the catechism that the sign and seal of baptism does not itself give what it signifies, we might ask if giving someone a badge automatically makes them a police officer. Certainly a police officer who has done the appropriate training and being hired to the position of an officer of the law will be given a badge. The giving of the badge itself, however, does not guarantee his status as a police officer. No, the badge is a sign and seal of his status. It's not the badge that makes someone a police officer. Consider for a moment if I went to the dollar store and bought a badge for one of my children. Would that make them a police officer? Of course not. The point is that the badge itself does not give what it signifies. In the same way, the outward washing does not itself cause us to be cleansed of sin. It does not give it to us what it signifies. The Catechism goes on to say that only the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit cleanse us of all sin. And of course, most of us realize that baptism itself does not automatically give salvation. Yet often we can act like this is true in in practice. In our day-to-day walk, We can assume that because I've been baptized and grown up in the church that I'm automatically saved. It's when I give little thought to how I live out my Christian life from day to day, showing much unbelief in what I say and do, and go on to simply assume that because I've been baptized that I stand in the good graces of God. 
And if this is how we live and talk, it's not surprising that our Baptist neighbors are skeptical about infant baptism. And so it gives us reason to stop and reflect. Do I live as though my faith doesn't matter, as if my response to my baptism is of little importance? But it leaves us with a question. If it is not automatic, then how are the promises applied? Our Baptist friends are, fr- are right when they point to Mark 16, verse 16, which says, Whoever believes, yet baptism is a sign and seal of what God promises to his covenant people. But brothers and sisters, we must never forget that faith is a necessary response to receive these gifts from the Lord. This is the point of the passage that we read in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. The epistle of Peter compares Noah's salvation through the waters of the flood to salvation through baptism. The flood waters sustained and supported Noah and his family, preserving their lives in the midst of God's judgment, judgment on an unbelieving world. Verse 21 says, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Yes, The water of baptism is intended to save you just like the waters of the flood saved Noah. But the verse goes on to explain how that takes place. First, it says that it's not like the removal of dirt from the body. It's not automatic. No, baptism is rather the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. The word pledge is crucial to understanding the significance of our reading. The one who is being baptized is receiving a divine mark that appeals to God that they will receive what they need to have a clear conscience before God. One commentator states that this pledge refers to the seeking after God of a good and pure conscience, which is the aim of Christian baptismal life. The ESV refers to to the pledge as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Our form of baptism tells us how God applies his promise in the life of the one baptized. The way that God works a good conscience in those that are his is by giving his people what they need to respond in faith. Those who are baptized are promised God's good gifts so that they may believe in Jesus Christ. The form for baptism elaborates on what God promises to those who are baptized. There it says, when we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. Our Heavenly Father is busy steering the course of events in our life for our good. And when we are baptized into the name of the Son, God the Son promises to wash us in his blood and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has secured forgiveness of sins for those who place their faith in him through his sacrifice and resurrection. And finally, the form for baptism says that God the Holy Spirit assures us that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely, the cleansing from our sins, and the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect 
in life eternal. God pours out his Holy Spirit through the preaching and the reading of his word, week after week, working in our hearts so that we might believe and seek him. And with all these promises in hand, it's appropriate that the catechism goes on to ask the question, why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sin? It's not that the water itself washes away sin. Rather, it's because the infinite, all-powerful God of heaven and earth makes a divine declaration to the one being baptized that he has secured salvation for his people through the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a sign and seal that when the one who is baptized believes that promise, then the Holy Spirit will be given to them in order to sanctify and cleanse them from all their sin. That is what the Catechism says. He wants to teach us that the blood and Spirit of Christ removes our sin just as water takes away dirt from the body. When Peter had taught the people the significance of Christ's death and resurrection in Acts 2, the people cried out, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ's blood, we are cleansed from our sin, and through the Holy Spirit, we are being sanctified. But there's more. Not only does God want to teach us what he has done for his people by means of the sacrament of baptism, he wants to assure us that if you are baptized, this promise is for you. The catechism refers to baptism as a divine pledge. God Almighty makes a pledge to you personally that you are as truly cleansed from your sins spiritually as you are bodily washed with water. Brothers and sisters, do we grasp the magnitude of that promise? All this is ours, promised to us by God himself, promised by a God who is holy and true to his word. Salvation is yours. It is in your hand. It's far more than the promise of some earthly parent expressed through a dedication ceremony. It's a declaration of the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing God directly to you and to your children of his covenant love. And now I can just picture the question, but some of you may be wondering. Initially I said it was not automatic, but now I'm saying salvation is mine on account of the fact that God has promised it. What's the difference? It seems like it must be automatic to me. To help make this crucial point clear, I invite you to imagine that there's a wonderful concert being put on by one of the most prestigious orchestras in the world. And for some reason, the conductor decides to give you a front row ticket to the opening show. He places the ticket in your hand and he says, I want you to come. I'm personally inviting you to the opening show. It is more than just an invitation. The ticket makes it a reality. You have a seat at the concert. You have not yet sat in the seat, so the promise has not yet been actualized, but the seat is yours nonetheless. Baptism is much the same. God assures us that his promise is real and that it is ours. 
Do we believe it? That's the central question. Mark 16, 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. To receive the thing promised, one must believe. If you do not take the conductor seriously, thinking that the ticket is a fake, then your lack of faith will cost you the thing that he has given. Faith is the means through which God's promises are confirmed to his people. And this brings us back to the initial concern of our Baptist friends. The crucial point of difference is whether we believe God initiates salvation through baptism, calling a believer to faith, or whether baptism is a sign and seal of faith already displayed in the life of the believer. In other words, must faith precede God's promise of salvation in baptism? Should we understand Mark 16, verse 16, in a very linear fashion, that one must believe first and then be baptized? Or can we understand Mark 16, verse 16, to teach us that belief and baptism go hand in hand, but not necessarily in that order. If faith must precede God's promise of salvation through baptism, then those promoting adult-only baptism are right. And it's only presumptuous on our part to baptize our children who have not yet displayed faith. And that brings us to our second point, to whom the promises of baptism are to be applied. The Catechism anticipates this objection when it asks, should infants too be baptized? And the answer is a resounding yes. Infants, as well as adults, belong to God's covenant and congregation. As proof text, the Catechism points to Genesis 17. In Genesis 17, verse 7, God establishes a covenant with Abraham that would last forever. It says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. God impresses upon Abraham that his covenant was to be with him and his children forever. And following the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Israel as a nation ceased to be the exclusive covenant people. So that begs the question, who are the covenant people who continue in the line of God's everlasting covenant? Galatians 3 helps us to understand who those children are today. There it instructs us, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Brothers and sisters, that means you and I are children of Abraham and heirs to the promise of salvation. Part of God's eternal covenant of salvation. It's important to notice that Galatians refers to Abraham as the man of faith. Because it was by faith that Abraham was saved, just like everyone who finds salvation in Jesus Christ. Faith is the vehicle. What's important to notice is that Abraham's faith precedes the covenant of circumcision. First, he believes, 
Then God establishes a covenant with him. Romans 4 elaborates as follows. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So circumcision, just like baptism, was a sign of God's promises that Abraham received by faith. Now at this point, the advocates of adult-only baptism are in agreement. Faith preceded the sign and seal of God's covenant in Abraham's case. But here comes the shift, brothers and sisters. Following the establishment of the covenant to Abraham, our reading in Genesis 17 goes on to require that Abraham extend the sign and seal of the covenant to his children. It says, This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. The covenant that was established with Abraham was extended to his children, a sign of God's promise given to children who had not yet come to the age of discernment or faith. And isn't this the objection of many well-meaning Baptists? That the sign of the covenant is being given to those who have not yet come to faith. Yet we see the same pattern emerge in the New Testament when the sacrament of baptism begins to be practiced in the churches. The initial calling was to believe and be baptized. Acts 2.38 says much the same thing when Peter calls the Jews to repent and be baptized. This is where many of our Baptist neighbors wish to stop. But Acts 2 goes on in verse 39 to declare that the promise is for you and your children. The covenant promises are not just for the adult believers. No, they belong to our children as well. That is why the catechism states that through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith are promised to them no less than to adults. This, that is significant, brothers and sisters. Through baptism, God himself promises our children redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith. The God of all heaven and earth is personally signifying and sealing to you and to your children the very promises of salvation. And what could be more comforting and of greater value to a believer than the promises that we receive there at our baptism. It's a promise of salvation itself. A promise of eternal life over eternal death. In contrast, the practice of dedication that's used in some churches pales in comparison to the riches that God extends to our children. Dedication is a, simply a promise by parents that they will encourage their children to believe the promises of God in the hope that when they come to faith, they will be joined to Christ and his church. The emphasis is not on what they have, but on what they hope to have. And so it offers little comfort to parents, especially if their children should be taken from this life before they show the fruit of faith. 
brothers and sisters, the comfort of baptism, and that is that it is a pledge by God himself of his promise of redemption and the Holy Spirit, signified and sealed to us and to our children. They possess the covenant promises right now, today. That is why the catechism goes on to insist that the children of believers must be baptized, stating, therefore, by baptism, as sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. Parents, as members of the church of Christ, our children have an honored place in this world. They have been set apart as holy, given the promises of salvation. How could any believer ever say, I do not want that for my children? To reject baptism would be to spurn the very promise of God. That's why Genesis 17 Verse 14 takes such a hard line, stating that any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Beloved, that brings us back to our starting question. Why were you baptized? If you were born in a Christian family, you were baptized because the God of all heaven and earth wanted to personally apply his promises to you. He declares to you that he has secured salvation through the precious blood of his Son, and that through his Holy Spirit, he's able to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. These promises are yours. If you came to faith later in life, having grown up outside the church, God confirmed the same promises to you, simply at a later time in your life. Given what we have received, how could we spurn his rich promises by failing to baptize our children? No, brothers and sisters. Believe and so continue to baptize your children, setting them apart as holy to the Lord, because the Lord promises them in baptism everything that they need to be holy. Amen. We will respond with the singing of hymn 58. <clears throat>